Welcome to the St. Jose Maria Institute podcast. Did you know that listeners like you are helping to make these podcasts possible? Let us know that our podcasts are important to you by showing your support today. Visit stjosemaria.org slash give. Today in the podcast, our journey to Christ the light. At the end of this Christmas season, Father Peter Arminio, a priest of Opus Dei, reflects on how our journey to Christ is like that of the Magi and what the three gifts of the Magi can teach us about approaching Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins, and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. We center our attention on Jesus, truly present with us in the Blessed Sacrament, and we ask for his assistance in drawing lessons from this solemnity of his second major manifestation as an infant. This Sunday we celebrate the solemnity of the epiphany. It's a Greek word which means manifestation. Christmas is the very first manifestation of Jesus, period, but Jesus as an infant. And he's manifested to the chosen people, represented by these four or five smelly shepherds. Okay? They're not as pristine as the shepherds underneath the Christmas tree. They were grizzled, gnarled, toothless, scraggly beards, not much to talk about because they hung out with sheep for so many decades. And I don't know if they gave Jesus a birthday present. I highly doubt it. And if they did, it was probably a little lamb. But if we meditate on the presentation of Jesus in the temple, Mary did not come up with a lamb. She came up with two pigeons. So it sounds like the shepherds did not bring a birthday present. They were surprised by the angels, and they went to Bethlehem with haste. So when you go somewhere with haste, you don't think of buying a present. Uh, The second manifestation is this Sunday, where Jesus manifests himself before these three Gentiles called the Magi. It's an ancient Persian word that means wise men. It could also mean kings, wise men. And so there's tremendous symbolic meaning in this solemnity that we're about to celebrate. Because the Holy Spirit, through the infant's birth, is driving home the fact that this prodigy, this Savior of the world is what every human being needs. 
That's why he's for all the people. First, the chosen ones, and then the Gentiles, represented by these Persian individuals. And then there's a third manifestation, doesn't have the same flair as Christmas and Epiphany. It's the baptism of our Lord, where our Lord goes absolutely public. And that's the third manifestation. And that concludes the Christmas season. It blows by, I know. And in our society, the Christmas season ends on the 25th. Advent's anything but a penitential season in our culture. But technically, it's meant to be that way. But we'll do the best we can. We could include in our meditation on the Epiphany some words of St. Jose Maria in a meditation he gave on the Feast of the Epiphany. And he says here, Moved by this question, I too contemplate Jesus lying in a manger in a place fit only for animals. Lord, where is your kingship, your crown, your sword, your scepter? They are, by his, they are his by right, but he does not want them. He reigns wrapped in swaddling clothes. Our king is unadorned. He comes to us as a defenseless little child. Can we help but recall the words of the apostle? He emptied himself, taking the nature of a slave. Like Christ, we need to empty ourselves to consider ourselves as the servants of others, and so bring them to God. Where is the king? Could it be that Jesus wants to reign above all in men's and women's hearts, in your heart? So this is the, one of the, the major message. The three kings take a journey. My estimation is a journey of a couple of hundred miles. Not, nothing, not easy when you have to go through mountains and there's no roads, there's no planes, there's no trains. And it's all camel. It's all camel driven or donkey driven. And it took a long time. And what prompted them to head towards Judea? They recall a tradition that involved a child prodigy another figure of Christ, and that's the prophet Daniel. He probably had the highest IQ of all the prophets. He could interpret dreams, esoteric writing, uh, predict the future, strong little man as well. Uh, he lived on a Spartan diet, uh, was a recipient of many visions, and mathematically disclosed when Jesus would be born. I mean, if you're uh, uh, an expert in Daniel's prophecies, you'd be able to figure it out. And these wise men were astrologers. It doesn't mean they were superstitious. This was, you know, a discipline in those days. They were astrologers, and they were very familiar with the prophet Daniel because he was a prophet who lived during the Babylonian exile. And so there was a tradition. His teachings, his writings uh, were writings that wise people, philosophers, were familiar with because he had a reputation of being the wisest person in that realm. You know, just read the book of Daniel. And they knew that this was the time, this mysterious 
savior of the world, was coming, and they believed in him. They had faith, these wise men. Uh, I don't know if they believed in one God, but they did believe that the savior of the world was coming. And so a star appears. This is uh, a real cosmological event, but it's also a supernatural event as well. And this star, anytime you have a light, it is always a symbol of Christ. That symbol of Christ begins with Genesis, let there be light. Already that's a prophecy. Jesus is that light of the world par excellence, both as God and as man. And so inspired by the Holy Spirit, this light in the form of a star appears and they start to journey. They show us that when you try to find Christ, your life gets very complicated. I heard someone say, but it's kind of a, it's, it's, it's part of popular wisdom, no good deed is left unpunished. You know, it's very counterintuitive. You figure a good deed gets rewarded, but no good deed is left unpunished. And they had to go through some harsh climate uh, exhausting travels, thirst, hunger, desert climates. It was not a quick journey. It was not easy. They really had to exercise faith. And wouldn't you know it, that star that kept guiding them towards where this mysterious Savior of the world would be born, would be located, disappears. And what do they do? Well, they go to Jerusalem, the major city. They're getting close, but now the star disappears. And so they, I guess they were kind of important people, so they go to, big mistake, they go to King Herod. And, and what do they ask? Where is he that is born king of the Jews? You know, if you have an eagle like Herod, you don't want to hear something like that, that's for sure, because he's the king of the Jews. And um, for we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. But when King Herod heard this, he was troubled and so was all Jerusalem with him. So he made a real mess out of things. He caused a pandemonium in a, in a major city uh, because he realized that there was a little bit of competition. And so he consults with the scribes and the Pharisees, the experts in the law, experts in the Bible, and they identify the city where this king of the Jews would be born. He would be a descendant of David. David is from Bethlehem. This savior of the world would be from Bethlehem. And quoting the, I think, prophet Micah, and you Bethlehem of the land of Judah are by no means least among the princes of Judah, for from you shall come forth a leader who shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the Magi secretly and carefully ascertained from them the time when the star appeared to them. And sending them to Bethlehem, he said, Go and make careful inquiry concerning the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may go and worship. He was up to no good. He was so upset and so hateful over this 
birth of the king of the Jews in Bethlehem that he would massacre all the young boys under the age of two. And Joseph with Jesus and Mary would escape to Egypt. But what is my takeaway here? A number of takeaways. All of us have a light of Christ in us. And what is that trajectory all about? It's not a geographical one, even though the celebration of the Epiphany commemorates a long journey. But it's also symbolic. It was real, it happened. But it symbolizes a journey we must take that leads us to the star, who is the light of the world. Jesus is literally the star. He's called the morning star. Or he's called the day star in that hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And the trajectory occurs right within our very hearts. But it's a real trajectory. That's why the gospel says, behold, the kingdom of God is within you. And that is why apostolate or deeds of love or evangelization is always an overflow of this love of God we have within us. And we ask the Lord who presides over this time of prayer, Lord, speak to us about this journey that we must glean from this solemnity. Every feast holds lessons for us to glean. First of all, as they approach our Lord, this is a whole different gospel than Luke's, but the end result is the same. Luke describes Jesus quoting the angels who appeared to the shepherds. The first description of Jesus is, I bring you good news of great joy. So the vocabulary is insufficient to express the hope and the joy that are present in this Savior of the world that he is, for every person, he is good news of great joy. And that's why it's for everybody. God wants everybody to have good news of great joy. And there's a whole different gospel. The gospel says, And behold, the star that they had seen in the east went before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly. And uh, if you read it in the original Greek, no, I don't read in the original Greek. I want to, though. Um, I, I'm a wannabe Greek reader. And um, I read the Greek phrase with, you know, heavily translated into English and explained uh, that the Greek word is is basically means it's an over-the-top joy they experienced. That the English translation, this is what the expert says anyway, uh, doesn't do justice to the original Greek phrase. That the joy is an exquisite, over-the-top, intense joy that the English language cannot capture, nor can the Latin language capture sufficiently. Anyway, and so we see that they experienced what was predicted by the angels, 
They experienced this spectacular joy. And Jesus, is, he doesn't only give joy, he is joy. He is. He, he doesn't contain it. He doesn't experience it. He is joy. God is everlasting life. That's why Jesus says, I am the life. Okay. And how do we take this trip? Well, this journey, the map is in the form of three symbols. This journey to Jesus. And we need to have a purpose. When we come to Jesus, yes, we could ask for a good grade on our quiz or on our term paper. Uh, that's fine. Um, got a sore throat. This is the fifth time since the middle of November. And maybe I want to devote some time to see if I could change our Lord's plans and he could give me a different cross than this low-grade flu or cold that has been around since Halloween. And um, I'm getting bored with this cross. Give me a different one. Um, but be careful. You may get what you ask for. So, but that's fine. We could we talk to the Lord whatever, about whatever we want. We could tell him how we feel, you know, what, what makes us happy, what makes us sorrowful, etc. But a very important part of my relationship with him is adoration. It's just giving myself to him. And the, the journey to him is to keep seeking him with greater love. And that love is symbolized by these three gifts. Gold, frankincense, it's a, it's a fancy word which means incense, when we have benediction, we use frankincense, but we call it, it's incense. And myrrh, kind of a, a spice or a substance that you anoint dead bodies. It gives a fragrance. I guess it's, there's practical reasons for it as well. And so my love is symbolized by these three gifts. And, that's, and what do they do? Well, they, they adore our Lord, and they adore, them, they adore him with everything they have. Because what is a gift? Why do we like gifts? Well, we like gifts because we like to possess more things. Okay, I understand that. You know, if I could have three scarves, why not? You know, instead of two, I'll have three. You know, if you give me a third one, I'm, I'm appreciative, especially with this weather. But our real appreciation of a gift is that the person has left himself or herself in that gift. And the, how should I put it, the more sacrifice involved with that gift, the more of the person is left in that gift. Because what's in that high quality gift, or at least subjectively, that person's heart. This is a generic anecdote. You know, I've heard, I don't mean to brag, but I've, I think I've heard a lot of different things, a lot of different reactions, a lot of human reactions. And um, I know tons of mother-in-law or mothers-in-law. Okay. And um, they're my age. And generic story Mother-in-law complains about her son, mother-in-law, the mother-in-law's son. 
the mother-in-law of the fiancé, or the future mother-in-law of the fiancé of her son. Generic, because it happens, to, happens often. I know the drill now. <laughs> that her son is wonderful kid, great smile. And she asked me, what do I think of her son's smile? I go, it's okay. It's all right. <laughs> but isn't it special? I go, I guess. You know, not his mother. He says, but he's very naive. And, I, I, you know, and very imprudent. You think you, should, you think you could talk to him? I usually say, no. <laughs> I go, what's the problem? I mean, he, I think he's irresponsible, too. I mean, he's generous to a fault. And I, and I see it coming. He, he bought something for his fiancée. I, I see it coming. He bought a necklace, a pearl necklace, for his fiancée. And he, he's broke. He works very hard. He has two part-time jobs. He works in a restaurant. He's going to school. He works for UPS. And he buys his fiancée a necklace. And I asked him why, and he says, because she likes pearls. I really think that's irresponsible, because now he has nothing left, and he works so hard. I didn't want to say anything. No, I didn't say anything to him. But that, that's the point. I mean, more than, hey, she really needs this necklace. I want to show her what she means to me. And uh, I think she could figure it out. It's very costly. I'm not a millionaire. I have two part-time jobs. And I spent a lot of money. Subjectively, that was a major sacrifice on my part to give you the necklace. And also, I have to pay the price of my mother reprimanding me for the next two months every day. And so the trajectory is that I give our Lord gold. And St. Josemaria teaches us, and it's a little bit the martyrdom of the ordinary, part of giving our Lord our heart is to give him quality work. What, and and he, here's, here's a saint who wants to change the world and bring our Lord to the summit of every, act, of every human activity, a grandiose vision. Bring Christianity to non-Christians. You know, you bring Christ everywhere. Change the world. It's, you know, it's in his writings. Change the world. Be a revolutionary. Big picture. But he makes such a fuss about changing a light bulb. And he kind of give you a little bit of a lecture, they say. You know, the, the, these people who know him are now a very much an endangered species. And they, well, you know, he would say, well, you have to notice these little things because that's what you want to give to our Lord. He says, you, you, know, you want to love him in little ways, like St. Therese of Lisieux. You know, making a bed could be part of that gold. You know? Straightening out a room could be part of that gold. Writing a term paper. Is that the best you could do? No. Well, give him the best you could do. Whether it's a B or a C or an A, it doesn't matter. I'd like to give you an A, Lord. I may not have what it takes, but I'm going to try to give you an A. That's the gold. 
whatever it may be. I'm going to write a note to somebody. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to do it for the glory of God, and it's going to be, I'm going to walk the extra mile and make sure that that note is grammatically correct and it really expresses my sentiments and um, that it will land well. That maybe within that note I could even give an experience of Christ. You know, I'll think it through. It's basically giving the Lord the best we have. That's the gold. Gold is a precious metal. No, it wasn't bronze, it wasn't plastic, it was gold. And so the, the major are sending a message. We're adoring you. And, it, and the trajectory is giving our Lord gold. That's the tra- trajectory. And I, I, don't know, I, I don't have much artistic sensitivity, so it must be really nice uh, in my house. Um, we have a domestic staff who are connected, have heavily received formation from Opus Dei, and they have very much heightened awareness of giving our Lord this gold. And there's a centerpiece uh, which consisted of metalwork that took the form, shape of flowers, roses, daisies, but metalwork. Some were silver, some were bronze, some were gold. Uh, not plated, but at least the color. And then they had two candles on the right and the left. Someone must have been an artist, and the light kind of shimmers through this metal work, and it really looks pretty. And I said to myself, you know, right there, that, there's a meditation, right on, the, right on that table. You know, you could, you know, it's just dripping with presence of God. You know, it's oozing with prayer. You know, I, I, I just could tell, you know, those people who did it, that, that's, that was real gold given to the Lord. Uh, frankincense. We start a little bit late, okay? Give me a couple of minutes. You just, someone just prayed to my guardian angel and said, hey, tell that guy to look, look at his watch. You know, the night is still young. Um, the, the frankincense, why do we use incense? Why is that incense swinging? Is it to impose penance on people so they could cough a little bit? To, um, no, it, it is, the smoke goes up, there's a fragrance there, it's a symbol of of prayer of adoration. So part of my trajectory towards the Lord is that I give him, as they say in modern parlance, quality time of prayer. Without piety, we cannot refuel ourselves in charity fuel. Charity fuel is pumped into our hearts in prayer. The love of God is poured into your hearts by the Holy Spirit, Romans 5.5. So they give him incense, and they give him myrrh. Myrrh is prophetic. Myrrh is, you anoint dead bodies with that. And my trajectory also is to coming to grips with suffering. And I give our Lord myrrh when I join my sufferings, which are always compared to his, minuscule, because he helps us bear our cross, but the anointing he wants, the myrrh he wants, is myself joining his cross when I am invited to accept sufferings, accept sacrifice. So that is the journey. And we could finish uh, with some words of St. Jose Maria, 
on occasion of the Epiphany. As you kneel at the feet of the child Jesus on the day of his Epiphany and see him a king bearing none of the outward signs of royalty, you could tell him, Lord, take away my pride, crush my self-love, my desire to affirm myself and impose myself on others. Make the foundation of my personality my identification with you. And Mary, reinforce that prayer that we present to your son through your intercession. Thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help in putting them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my guardian angel, intercede for me. Holy Mary, hope, handmaid of the Lord. Thank you for listening to the St. Jose Maria Institute podcast. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please leave a rating or review on iTunes. For more resources and podcasts like this one, go to stjosemaria.org. That is stjosemaria.org.